The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey friends, welcome back one more time for Afternoons with Mike. Her daily here on The Shepherd, all the way from Gainesville down to Ocala, the villages, and in Orlando, where our studios are located. And today I've got back uh, in the studio with me is Buddy Shelton. Buddy it is uh, a pro golfer turned uh, quite the trick golfer. He did exhibitions all over the country for many years, still doing that. He speaks to churches. He is... Uh, really a golf stand-up comedian. And I don't know if you were doing that back when you were on the PGA Tour, but if you didn't, you lost a good opportunity. <laughs> Buddy Shelton, it's great to have you back with me. Thank you, thank you. And as far as going back to the tour, um, I was crazy back then, too. <laughs> I, I have and, absolutely no doubt. And one time I was paired with a guy named R.H. Sykes. Uh, there was another Sykes out there named Dan Sykes, but this was a young, quiet, uh, just a nice guy that would never uh, do anything that's not correct. And Chi-Chi was paired with us. And Chi-Chi and I got to going back and forth with each other. And when we came in to turn our scorecards in, Sykes threw his down on the counter with the officials, and he said, if you ever pair me with Shelton and Chi-Chi again, I'm not playing. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I I can only imagine what it was like that day. Because we talked about this the last time you were here with us. You have this gift of, um, well, could I call it skeptical, uh, critical, critical humor? Let's 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 settle with that. You have a way of uh, kind of insulting people while they are just dying laughing. And I'm not sure how you get away with that. You know, and and even Ruth, she asked me, you know, how do people like you? (laughs) Now your wife, uh, what would Ruth say to that? What would she say? Yeah, and it's the crazy thing about it is I can insult somebody, and most time it's about their golf game or the clothing they got on. (laughs) Yeah. And or then, how bad they are. Yeah. <laughs> and then they turn around after everything's over and come up and want an autograph and their picture taken with yeah. me. <laughs> That's what I, I remember that well. I, and I also remember the incredible <laughs> sense of intimidation I had at the uh, scramble. And by the way, I, I found I, I didn't even it was there when you were here the last time uh, in my office on my bookshelf. I have a little uh, trophy that I won the day that you were there, <laughs> and it's called the Most Humble Award, yes. and it's a bobblehead golfer, <laughs> and I won it that day because I was the worst golfer in the entire tournament. So that's I've got that permanent reminder of just how bad I am. But well, I, just to give you an idea how bad you are. <laughs> Here we go. Most golfers are bad. (laughs) So basically, you're admitting that you're the worst of the worst. I'm the worst (laughs) of the worst. That's right. Not too many golfers are great, uh, but you're one of them, buddy. And I I remember the reason I was so intimidated was prior to the start of the tournament, you were out there giving one of these exhibitions, as Mm -hmm. you do, and you had all of these different ways that you were firing that ball off and the happy Gilmore shot where you just take like a running winding swing right? and you crush the ball. And then that day uh, when we got to the par three where you were stationed on that tour, you were up there and you shot the first shot for us. Right. And, and they were like, oh, who wants to go next? I don't want to go next. <laughs> and I don't know. I'm sure I duffed it off. I'm sure I hit it into the into the water or to the sideline or someplace. It, it, I'm not very good. Yeah. And, and that reminds me, when I play a hole with everybody, and usually it's a par three, and get to say a few things and greet them and maybe get my picture taken yeah. with the group and that type of thing. The, uh, uh, what's really interesting is the, somebody will hit a bad shot and they, it's always this way. They turn around and say, gosh, I've never hit a shot that bad. And I look at them and say, you played before. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I remembered you did one in your exhibition where you topped it. And and you made a joke about that, and I thought, oh my gosh, I have done that so many times. It's not funny. I am always topping the ball. I did that uh, in an exhibition I was doing for Arnold Palmer before he passed away, and uh, he stopped the exhibition, and he told the people, he said, you won't believe it. He said, I know you are amazed at some of the trick shots that Buddy hits, hitting it with a chain and a whip and, and blindfolded and all this. He said, but the toughest shot he hits is trying to top it on purpose. Yeah, <laughs> and you did it so well. And then you turned around, and, and now, of course, you were doing it on purpose. I top the ball when I'm really trying to hit the ball. <laughs> so that's, it's just the way it is. But you're, the funny way that you said, ah, topped it and, and after that. And I thought, oh, I'm, he's had me. He's watched me. He's had a microphone on me. That's exactly what I do and what I've said. And, yeah, you have that way. Very few people I know, buddy, can can really talk smack the way you do and get away with it with a smile. Don, Don Rickles could. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He <laughs> and, did. And, you know, the topping thing is the um, the stupid things people say on the golf course. And you, uh, us being on radio today, that went along with the top shot because every time a guy tops it and it rolls four feet, he looks at everybody and says, I topped that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, like, no kidding. And I say, what, are we on radio today? Because <laughs> we all saw it. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, that's, that's the kind of humor that I think uh, has made it uh, to be where you've been, where you've gone. I mean, you have... You've got to go places with this kind of humor and talent, uh, but uh, all the way goodness. from all the way from Japan to Germany and Austria. Oh my! Word. Everything in between. Yeah. So, did you have an interpreter when you're in places like that? You have to have somebody interpreting for you when you make those jokes. Now, wait a minute. Have you heard me talk? <laughs> I don't think you could talk <laughs> Japanese. I, I need an interpreter when I speak English. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> and you know, the the event that we were at was uh, a pastor's appreciation yeah. event. Yeah, that's right. And there was over 200 pastors there. That's right. And and I was thinking about that the other day, about a couple of the pastors that I roasted, and I won't say any names. The uh, But one of the guys, uh, he teed up an old ball because the, the par three we were playing had a lake. Had a lake right there. Yeah. And he teed up an old ball, and I said, Pastor, I said, you know, that's not showing a lot of faith. <laughs> that's right. You know, you need to get a, a good ball and put that out there and <laughs> be confident. And so he went back to his bag and he got a ball out and switched it and he put a new ball down there. And I said, okay, now take a practice swing and relax. And he took a practice swing and immediately when I saw the practice swing, I said, go back and get the old ball. <laughs> <laughs> that's too great <laughs> yeah go get your ball because this is not going to end well <laughs> and another pastor who was you know a lot of guys came out just for the day they didn't really play golf that much and one of the guys hit a ball and it turned left and he said i know what it is when it turns right the, he said, that's a slice. And I said, that's right. That's right. He said, now what is it when it turns left? And I said, that's a hook. <laughs> and he said, okay. So he got up there and the uh, and I played a couple of holes with him. So he hit hooks and slices and finally he hit one down the middle. And he looked at me and I said, that's called a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Oh, my goodness. Buddy Shelton is my guest, my guest today. And I, like I told you, this guy could have been a stand-up comic in Vegas or L.A. or wherever he wanted to be because he's got a quick wit and a uh, just a hilarious dryness about it. But this thing of making fun of people and then them dying is, is something that I don't think I'd ever seen anyone do as well as you do. Maybe with Don Rickles as the exception. That's yeah, the only other person. The you only have... difference is I talk about Jesus and yeah. Don Rickles didn't. <laughs> That's right. And some of the jokes could really be crazy. Hey, one of the things that we talked about prior to our beginning this this interview is what's going on in the Super Bowl, right? Uh, the Super, The hunt for the Super Bowl, the playoffs, and this young guy named Brock Purdy. Right. And you were telling me some things about him that I didn't know. Why don't you share it for our audience in case they're not keeping up with this young man? 
What's going on with him? The uh, He just recently made some interviews. Uh, I think he did one with Sports Spectrum, which is a, a, a sports Christian magazine and some other things, and he was on Twitter. And he just comes right out and he says, my goal is to witness for Jesus Christ as much as I can. And yeah. he said, football. And here's what's amazing. He went to South Dakota State University. The I think that's where, you know, they just teach you how to break rocks or something. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, But he, uh, right in the middle of his schooling and playing football there, he apologized to God and he said, God, I want you to forgive me for the sin of putting so much emphasis mm. on football. I want my emphasis on you and football to come next. That's great. How many people say that? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and he's just he keeps giving this testimony. And so, you know, I maybe I wasn't for the 49ers, the but I'm for the 49ers now. You know, it's, I agree completely. When you find out there's someone that gives you a reason to want to watch, want to root for them, and what greater reason could there be than that? This young man, I'm praying that God gives him a pulpit that would be the Super Bowl. And let him shout the, the love of Christ from there, which he will do. Oh, yeah. And, you know, for the people listening, go to Brock Purdy, Facebook or whatever, and uh, Sports Spectrum, and listen to some of the testimony that he's got. Yeah. And, you know, there's other guys, too, that the, uh, oh, gosh, I can't think of his name, but the kicker for the Jaguars, mm. the before he comes out on the field, he pulls a cross out from under his uniform. And he wears that cross because he says, I want to bring, bring glory to God in everything I do. Wow. And what was funny, when they played uh, the one that he won, he kicked a field goal with no seconds left. They won by one point. And the cameras came up to him and showed him celebrating and on everybody's shoulders. He pulled the cross up and held it in front of the camera. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Taking that moment <clears throat> for the Lord. That's right. great. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, this is really a, a unique, uh, I, I think, a unique situation with Brock because he was the third string. So you think about yeah. it. A third stringer, it, you know, you get a lot of playing time in practice, not so much in the actual games, but kind of an unusual set of injuries to the quarterback, then the backup quarterback. Uh, that took them out. Yeah. And then they're on this run toward the end of the season for the playoffs, and they've got a third-string guy leading the team. I'll tell you what a third-stringer does. <clears throat> Excuse me. The uh, I played football in college a little bit, and uh, you will see it on the sideline in pregame. The quarterback stands there and throws some passes to a receiver just on the sideline just to get loose and everything. When the receiver throws the ball back to him, the quarterback never catches it because he doesn't want to take a chance of breaking a finger or whatever. The third stringer stands next to him. <laughs> He's the one that catches it. Catches it and hands it back to the first oh, string Oh, my guy. goodness, yeah. So that's kind of how far down is the thing. Yeah. Here, I'm a quarterback, third string, and all I do is catch balls for the quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, the, taking the chance, like you said, I mean, it could happen to him too, but I guess the figuring is is that it's not a, a great loss if your third-string guy gets hurt in the process. But this guy came in, and the game I watched, buddy, all of the uh, people that were the c color commentators and the play-by-play -play guy, they were all going on. First of all, they were having fun with his name, and they'd say that was a pretty good play right there. <laughs> sure. Yeah, P-U-R-D-Y, Brock Purdy. It was pretty all right, but they were going on about the poise that this young man mm -hmm. had and how he did not look like a rookie. Right. And the confidence that he's playing with makes one think that he's done all of this before at that level, but he had not. But you know what? And my wife says, uh, tells people that I might have too much confidence. No the, way. You're <laughs> kidding me. <laughs> the, uh, but here's the trick to it. And I'm, I make a mention a while ago about my nervousness is getting ready for an exhibition. That's just making sure the golf balls are there and my golf clubs made it and all that. Once I start, it's routine because I want to just do what brings glory to the Lord 
and just roll with it. And like Purdy, he mentioned that. He said, once you you have that attitude, he has an attitude. He does not care whether he wins or loses. I just want to do my best to elevate Jesus Christ. Hmm. Well, now you don't have to worry about a shot. You don't have to worry about a pass. Yeah. You know, we have in him the story that he's now bringing to forbear. And then we have this DeMar Hamlin that was injured and a terrible injury like what happened to him. He has a heart attack. Right. And it were not for his teammates pumping his chest, keeping the CPR going, he might well have passed, but he was kept alive in that. And th- But it wasn't that that drew the attention of what I'm sharing. It was what happened on the ESPN where one of the hosts just... He said a prayer. He starts praying on camera, and the other two, uh, the co-hosts that are with him, they bow their heads, and they're praying too. Sure. And I'm thinking, would this ever have happened on ESPN? I I would never have believed that could have happened. But it did happen. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. All those people, and not to be negatory... All those people need to apologize to Tim Tebow. Yeah. A lot of them made fun of him for all the things he's done. Yeah. I mean, he prayed all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll bring something up in history with Tebow that might be interesting to you. Um, he always had a scripture verse written in the black and yes. under his eyes. Under, under the, yeah, the black under the eye. Right. Yeah. And, um, uh, oh gosh, who was the guy that was the coach back then? Urban Meyer. No, it wasn't Urban. It, it might have been Urban. I think he was. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. The um, he, uh, Tebow wanted to change it to John 3.16. And Urban Meyer said, no, said, we got a thing going. We've won so many games with like it is. I don't want you to change it. So he was kind of, you know, counting on this to get them through. And Tebow told him, he said, I really feel like I need to put John 3.16 on there. And so they kind of argued it back and forth. And finally, and he talked to his dad about it and stuff, uh, Urban let him do it. And so he went into the game and, of course, won won the national championship. And they were having lunch somewhere a few days later. And the marketing or advertising executive with the Gators or something other came over to the table and he said, I just got word from eBay and Google and Amazon and all this stuff that John 316 was the most looked up thing on Google ever in the world. Isn't that something? Most searched phrase. Yeah. Keywords, John 316. Wow. Tim Tebow, and he is still doing it for the Lord today, even all these years afterwards. That's what we could do. It's not all about football, friends. It's all about him. Buddy Shelton is my guest. We're going to have lots more of this kind of uh, chat with uh, a golf pro and a golf, in my mind, a a true representative of the gospel out on the links. And that's Buddy Shelton. When we return, Afternoons with Mike right here on The Shepherd. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. Here we go with segment two, and my guest is Buddy Shelton, and uh, excited to spend some time not only here in the studio, but afterwards, uh, a fellowship time with Ruth, his wife, and my wife, Cindy, and 
going to get to sit around a table and get to enjoy time of fellowship with this man. But I really appreciate the fact that we connected up in the villages, and that's where you you live. But you came over to First Baptist in Oxford, and a shout out to our friends over there uh, as well. But um, you were there that night for the concert with that young lady, uh, the Tally, Lauren Tally. She right. was amazing, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah, she's good. Yeah. So I was privileged to be there and uh, as the MC for that evening. And afterwards, this guy and his wife, they approached me and I'm thinking, I know this guy. Where do I know this guy from? I've seen him before. Well, it was it was uh, t- 2006, the last time I saw you. And that's when that golf tournament was. Mm-hmm. And there you were. Man, you're still doing it. You look the same. You sound the same. Same wit, same fun. Well, I'll be 80 years old in two weeks. Wow. And uh, just to correct you a little bit, you mentioned the villages. We don't live in the villages. Okay. We, we live right outside because I'm not old enough to live in the villages. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The villages area. How about that, buddy? The, that uh, those, those people sit around <laughs> with their walkers asking each other, what kind of tennis balls have you got on yours? <laughs> Oh, great. That's good. All right. Now, I know that probably no one else in the village it would, would the villages would say that they're a car racer, like you're able to say that you are, right? Yes. And and when I say that, I'm not just talking about a guy who likes to drive fast. You actually compete with this stuff, right? I used to. I, I raced cars for about 30 years and the uh, playing golf was a little too boring. <laughs> and, so I got to get in a high-performance car. Yeah, and all my cars burn rubber and gas. Yep, you know, that's they're, right. They're hybrids. Yeah. And the, uh, <laughs> but I drag raced, uh, which is where you get in a car and go a quarter of a mile and that type thing. And, of course, you can do it at a red light also. <laughs> you can. Not a good idea, buddy. <laughs> the, uh, and then I had a uh, Corvette race car, 63, that I did <gasps> did road racing in. Road racing? Yes. That seemed with a Corvette. Yes. You know, that thing's made out of splinters. I mean, come on. <laughs> Fiberglass. Yeah. Old plastic straws. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's not exactly the kind of a car that you'd want to be putting at risk on the road like that, right? That's true. That's true. But uh, those are great. I mean, a 63 Corvette, come on, that's a beautiful car. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I just recently sold it last year. Uh, I think I purchased it back in 1990. Now, didn't didn't President Biden buy it from you? Is that what it was? Uh, he wanted to store some more classic <laughs> documents. Yeah, in classified there, documents. Yeah. I mean, they make they make a great storage vault, right? Yeah. Matter of fact, when <laughs> we found this out the other day, when I got home, I've got a '57 Chevy that I run around in now, and we took all of our documents from our safe and put it in the glove compartment. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Unexpected, but I like that humor. That's good. Oh, I don't know what year it is that President Biden has, but it's around that era, isn't it? A 63? Isn't that close? You know what? It's, he's got a 67, but I hate to say anything in the story about our president, but when he did a commercial with that thing when he was running, he thought he had a 68. Oh, is that right? So he didn't even know what year. And it's so obvious because 67 was the last model of Stingrays. Mm-hmm. 68 went to a different style. Mm-hmm. Okay. With a, with a more squ- kind of a squared off back and all of that, the, right? Uh, squared off back, on and but a very uh, shark looking yeah. type thing. Corvettes have always been like every young man's dream car, right? I mean, yeah. that, that's just something back when I grew up. Uh, and you have a car that I've loved for years, the 57 Chevy, one of, if not the most icon- iconic cars from it the is. 50s. Matter of fact, this is the most popular car ever made. I, I'm not surprised at that. And what color is yours? Uh, I'll have to ask my wife. I think it's a blue-green teal or like something. Like a turquoise? No, it's not the turquoise one. And it's uh, an unusual color, and it's why I bought it, The mm. uh, because... Most 57s are either black or red mm-hmm. or turquoise. Mm-hmm. You know, turquoise was real famous. Yeah, that was a beautiful car. Everybody wanted one. My first car was a 63 Chevy. Kind of boring uh, in comparison, but... Yeah, but a, not bad. Not bad. And really nice if you had a 409 in it. I don't think I did. Yeah. But um, then I went from there to a Pontiac Firebird. 
and it had a what two eighty nine? I believe is what that had no, in it. It, uh, it had a three eighty nine. Oh, three eighty nine. Yeah, yeah, it was a big engine. Yeah. That's what it was. That was Smokey and the Bandit. Oh my goodness, that thing would, that thing would move, and and it was so light on the rear end that if you if you let out on that uh, that gas, you you stomped the clutch and you know, let out the clutch, stomped on the pedal. You weren't going anywhere. Yeah, I had a gold one. I just sold it about three months ago. Oh, but I go. I've gone through two hundred cars in the last thirty-five years. You're that bad of a driver. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's good. You're learning something <laughs> from me. Right. You're rubbing off on me. <laughs> that is hilarious. Oh my gosh, you! I know you collect. You cars. don't have to have a lot of talent to be a smart aleck. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. I'm getting hot over here. Oh my gosh, that is too funny. Oh, you have this that effect on me there, buddy. Oh my gosh, so you gotta be quick. You, you gotta be quick. So you collect cars, and you still somewhat are into that, right? Oh yes, yeah, yeah. So what are, what are you looking for now? Well, on the way over here, I went and looked at a '56 T-Bird, but it was in bad shape. The, uh, but I watch the internet and, and sometimes I'll buy a car just because I think the car was underpriced mm-hmm. and have it shipped in and put it up for sale again and make a little money so I can buy some more golf balls, I guess. <laughs> there you go. Well, the whole buy-sell thing is potential money, but it doesn't always work out like that. Have you had one where it didn't work out? You know what? I've never really lost money on a classic car. Oh, that's great. The uh, I bought a couple of cars that I wanted to just use for myself that, you know, I had to put too much money into fixing them, but never really on flipping a classic car. The yeah. uh, And for just real quick, for those 80,000 new IRS agents that are coming on board. <laughs> 87 of them. Yeah, I don't, I don't really make any money off these. <laughs> <laughs> you got to put that out there. Yeah, that's right. You know, the whole thing about going and looking for barn finds, they're called. Right. You know, do you th- do you, does that really work or is that you just... You know, people are still finding them. It's crazy. You know, somebody bought a 63 Corvette before they went to war and uh, grandmother didn't know it and it was in the barn and sooner or later somebody finds it sitting in there. And they might only have 100 miles on them. And, of course, they have to restore them. Mm-hmm. But they still bring uh, over a million dollars for some of those Oh, cars. my goodness. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Now, the, you know, we hear stories. And sometimes cars you think would sell at the auction, uh, they kind of surprisingly low. I'm talking about yeah. celebrity cars. It doesn't always follow any type of logic, right? Yeah, that's why I don't let people know who owned my car. Okay. <laughs> Because my name on it doesn't help it. It, okay. might, it might run it the other way. <laughs> That's right. And we want it going up and not the other way. That's yeah. right. So the the uh, Thunderbird was uh, what year? Uh, 56. And it, it was pretty rough because it was a barn find. Mm-hmm. And so it was really dirty and it had a terrible paint job on it and stuff like that. Now, do you uh, do you ever buy them in that kind of condition and restore not them? Not anymore. I did years ago. Mm. The uh, but now I'm a little older. I I just try to clean them up and vacuum them out and that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mechanical? I do some mechanical work. I can change change the starter or change a alternator and that type of stuff. But taking the motor apart, I'm not going to do that. Now you know the doing that in, in today's cars would be an entirely different proposition, wouldn't it? Oh, if you you got to have a computer to do it. Yeah. You know, and the nice thing about uh, my '57 Chevy. All I need is a battery, a spark plug, and a voltage regulator, and and it works. You know, buddy, when I started driving and you would pop the hood up on the car and you'd look at the engine, you could see every part that was in that engine right there. That's right. And now they have this cowling system where stuff or you have to dismantle half of the engine, it seems, to get down to change some of the parts. And there's a couple of rare cars, uh, not uh, even more rare than a Ferrari. Uh, trying to think of the name of the company, but they make one that you're not even allowed to open the hood on the car. Oh, that come on! Have, yeah, when you have, and they only make like a uh, hundred of these, and they sell for four million a piece. The uh, they call the Veyron, V-E-R-O-N. Oh. And uh, I saw one that uh, Jay Leno was talking to somebody about. 
And if it, to get a tune-up or get an oil change, he has to take it to the dealer. Isn't that something? They're the only ones that got a key to open the hood. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Literally, they have a key for it. Yeah. Now, wow. that's where you can put your classified documents. You there know, you that, go. That no one's going to find it except the mechanic. <laughs> that's it. And then if you find out if your mechanic was working with the CIA, you might have a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, my goodness. Now, what is the most expensive car that you've ever owned? What would, you, what would it have been? It was probably my 63 Corvette that I raced. Mm. The, uh, and, you know, some of them, after you sell them, you wish you had it back. Is that one of them? Uh, no, because it was more of a race car than a collectible car. I sold it to a race team in Finland. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, man, they shipped that car all the way to Finland. Yeah. And the car that I'd like to have back is I had a 57 Chevy Nomad which was a, a sports car station wagon. And I sold it to a guy in Australia uh, for 40 thousand dollars several years ago, probably 15 years ago. And now I'd like to get another one, but they're 125 and 150000 Ooh, so he made some money on that car. Yeah. Wow. So some of them something. really go up. But And you were talking about the 57 Chevy. 57 Ford outsold 57 Chevys in 57. Is that right? But Fitzsim Chevy right now is fifty to a hundred thousand dollars. A Fitzsim Ford is twenty five to forty. Isn't that something? And a Fitzsim Edsel, well, they'll probably give it to you. <laughs> the Edsel, yeah, that was a, a car that just did not quite make it. Yeah. But you know, it, it really is hard to figure out. I'm sure when these guys did it. I mean, my mom and dad had a gorgeous. You would remember this car. It was a Mercury, and it would probably re about a fifty-eight, something. I think it's around there. And Did it, it have a back window that went up and down. It, yep, I Turp believe it. Turnpike Cruiser. Okay, yeah, they had that thing, and it was kind of orange colored. Yeah, and With, it, it, it was, was probably two tone. It had some cream it in it. It did. It yeah. was two tone on the side. And it was beautiful. Yeah. And they owned that car. Cars did not cost that much back in that day. Probably at 58, you're probably talking about $4,000. I think it might have even been less than yeah. that, what they paid for it. But, you know, I remember when a, a friend of mine bought a brand new Camaro that was gorgeous. And he paid $4,000 for yeah. it in the early 70s. You know, that's nuts. Right. That's just nuts. And 69 Camaros right now are bringing seventy and $80,000. Yeah. So $4,000, what, is that a monthly payment now? Is that That's <laughs> yeah. kind of close to what it is, right? Yeah. Matter of fact, uh, I've got a, a V Cadillac, and uh, people think, well, once a, it's a four-door, but it's actually a race car also. It is. I've seen it. <laughs> And you've got a, you got a four speed, six speed, six speed. With oh my clutch. goodness. <laughs> With a clutch and it'll, what it, kind of muffler do you have in that thing? It's got flow masters and <laughs> it's, it's pretty loud. Yeah. It has, it makes some noise when you go. Yeah. And the, uh, but, um, they've come out, Cadillac came out with a V Escalade and all the V is means that it's got a big engine. Like mine's got 550 horsepower. The, uh, and you get minus two miles to the gallon. You right? know what? Since it's a six-speed with a clutch, I get 22, 23 miles no a gallon way. around town. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Where can I buy one? <laughs> the, uh, they're hard to find. But this guy just bought one from Plaza uh, Cadillac up in Leesburg, uh, an Escalade, and it listed for 175 but they're so rare that he had to pay 200000 to get it. Isn't that something? Of course, if you got one seventy five, you probably have 200 <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and if you've got that much to spend on a car, what's another twenty five? right? That's right. You know, that's crazy. Here you are, buddy, almost, you said almost 80? Yeah, in two weeks. I? In two weeks. Yeah. That is crazy. I don't know another octogenarian that drives a six-speed Cadillac <laughs> race car that I can't say I know any others that in the entire world but you. <laughs> You're kind of in a, a class of your own, my man. Well, Paul Newman lasted pretty long. Oh? I think Paul Newman went into his 70s. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. And we both have beautiful wives. There you, know, you so go. That was, that was neat. That's it. You and Paul, buddy. <laughs> That's great. I, I, I love that. Race cars with uh, with cars that are just fantastically 
uh, cool, and that's what you do. And now, when you drag that drag racing, uh, you did that. That would be not the. Uh, it, it was not a funny car, right? It was. No. A, it was like a stock car, right? Yeah, it's uh, either pro stock or nostalgia, something like that. My drag cars were. I had a '62 Dodge uh, Max Wedge, which is like a Hemi with a different head, and I had a '61 uh, Chevy uh, Impala 409 bubble top. Mm-hmm. And wow. talking about my 57 Chevy, uh, when it comes to price on cars, you got to look what kind of engine's in it. My 57 Chevy came with a 283, and now it's got a 454 in it. Yeah. <laughs> so you swap that BB out. And there's no room to put your hand between the fender and the engine anymore. Yeah. You know, we're talking about my Firebird. Uh, when I drove that one time, had my dad with me, and we were on our way to Mount Vernon, and we were, I was driving way, way, way too fast. And I drove 90 miles from my hometown to, to Mount Vernon. It had a four-barrel carburetor with that uh, big engine, mm-hmm. and I used three-quarters of a tank of gas <laughs> in going 90 miles. You could literally step on that car is gas and watch the gas gauge go down. Yeah, the speedometers and gas gauge change signs. Yeah, that's right. They kind of <laughs> crossed in the middle right there. That was it. My guest today is Buddy Shelton. This is uh, one of the more unique guests that I've had, uh, unique interviews with a, a guest that I've had on our program. I don't know that we've ever talked about this kind of car uh, situations ever in my program history, but I'm really glad we're doing it. It's a lot of fun. And Buddy lives outside of the villages <laughs> and where where you probably are. Do you ever drag race any of those uh, souped-up uh, golf carts over there now, right? They, uh, You know, they do have those. <laughs> they and, do. And unfortunately, I know they, do. they have more wrecks than they do have car wrecks. Oh, my there. goodness. Is that right? Yeah. And let me mention one other thing, because I know that we should be talking about uh, uh, Christian things. <laughs> The guys used to complain to me because I belong to a group called Racers for Christ, and it's all over the country, and we have uh, uh, services at every racetrack when there's something going on. The I had Jesus emblems on my cars, mm-hmm. on my race cars, and everybody would come up after I'd win a drag race or something, and they'd say, that's not fair. Yeah, you had a little help from on high. <laughs> At the end down there, he got an extra boost somehow or another. <laughs> oh, that's great. Buddy Shelton is my guest. We'll be back with segment three coming up in just a moment. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. I am truly having the time of my life sitting here with Buddy and also in our studio, Ruth. I'll wave at Ruth. And uh, you can't see her. That's okay. Take my word for it. And uh, joining us uh, outside in just a bit when we head out for a time of fellowship will be my wife. This has been one of the more entertaining programs that I've had. And it really is great. Buddy, during the break, Buddy and I were talking about the fact that I had a chat last week. And you and he had already heard about Kevin Sorbo's new movie that's coming out. And in fact, it's out now. It came out yesterday. Uh, as this program will be heard. So there's four days, buddy, that uh, these producers and a guy like Kevin Sorbo, he's a believer, strong believer, loves the Lord. Uh, It really is important that people in the Christian community get behind this thing. So we've got, we've got what, three days left for this movie to really have a good showing in the first four days. Because it makes a difference, doesn't well, it? Well, and especially this one. This is uh, a follow-up on Left Behind. Yeah. And uh, we need to take and get uh, friends or neighbors uh, that don't know the Lord and let them see something like this. And and we need to support it also. We need to support it so that we can get more Christian movies out there. You know, he's doing it. He's oh, yeah. He was Hercules for years, was in that franchise. And then he's also known for things like God's Not Dead and 
Uh, mm-hmm. Andromeda, I believe, is a, Andromeda was another show, a TV show he was uh, on. And I think he started as a gladiator, didn't he, or something like I that? I am not sure. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah I mean, he's done a lot. And he's still acting. His wife, Sam Sorbo, has been on my program uh, as well. And she is a uh, an actress that uh, turned out to be an amazing homeschooling mom and mm. is now a spokesperson and an author of uh, books that really help moms homeschool their children. And so she's been on my program like three times and it's, it's always interesting to talk with her, but this is a couple, you're right. Worth getting behind worth supporting. Yeah. You know, cause it, it's not cheap to put a movie together. No. The, uh, and I know there's people out there that, uh, Christian business people that back these things, but it needs more than, than them to do it. We need to support it as much as we can. I think know? Kevin said that uh, the, the other movie, God's Not Dead, that he was in, uh, they, it had the same kind of limited opening, and uh, it stayed, though, in theaters for six weeks. Oh, neat. So it was pretty great, and it had a lot of success. We're praying for that for Kevin. So, friends, uh, that is going on now. Check out your local movie times. I encourage you to get out and see Left Behind with Kevin Sorbo. He's not only an actor in the movie, he directed it. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, not to, uh, the same subject, but uh, the Mulligan, and he's a good friend of yours, yeah. uh, Wally Armstrong, yeah. a good friend of mine. The uh, That's another movie. It's not on anymore, but you can get it from Amazon or, or just stream it from My something. wife and I watched it the other night in one of the streaming services. Yeah, and so yeah. if you've got uh, friends and neighbors that don't know the Lord, invite them over to have some popcorn and Coke and stream Mulligan. My friend Rick Eldridge, I interviewed Rick back in, uh, oh goodness, 85 or 86. I think it was 86. He was on my program back when I was on WAJL Radio. in Orlando. And Rick, at that time, he's a musician, fantastic musician, but he has turned out to be quite a director himself and producer, and he produced that film. So I got to have him on my program last year when it was coming out Mm -hmm. and got to meet Pat Boone, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah. So he he was there at the NRB two years in a row. Pat was uh, still talking about the mulligan. And Pat loves golf. Yeah. uh, I've played golf several times with him on the celebrity tour and uh, he, he played there and, and speaking of celebrity tour, not to change the subject yeah, about, the, okay. about the movie, but the, uh, the neat thing about playing the celebrity tour and I played it for 10 years and that's where uh, football retired football players and movie stars and stuff, baseball players, uh, yeah, Michael Jordan, right? Oh yeah. Played with yeah. Michael and, the uh, Marino and uh, Dan Marino, uh, Jim, uh, gosh, McMahon from oh, Chicago yeah, Bears, that's crazy, right. crazy guy. Played with with the, with the refrigerator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He went to Clemson, Clemson wow. University. Yeah. The but uh, I I think many times and Ruth wants me to write a book or something, uh, or do a video about playing with all the people that paid to play with us, the CEOs. That's how they, we raised money for charities, you know. So CEOs of companies would pay to play with, uh, we'd play with three CEOs and one celebrity. And so some of the things, and one in one of them, uh, I'm not going to name names, but the uh, guy was uh, president of Disney. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, let's see now. Michael, okay, I got it. But we got on one hole, and we were playing at Disney World. And... Uh, he, he hit his tee shot, and I hit a pretty good shot. It was a par five. And uh, after three more shots, he finally caught up with me. And, <laughs> and, of course, he had to look for his ball in between each shot. And he looks at me, and he said, how long is this hole? And I looked at my watch and said, it's 25 minutes. <laughs> That's great. So he wasn't real sure about what I said to him. But anyway, we, we keep working our way down to the green. And unfortunately, golfers watch guys on tour walk around the green and look at all the yeah. lay of the land and stoop down, yeah, look down all and that, crawl around, and so they think they need to do that. Yeah. And they walk around and they're taking all this time, <laughs> taking five, ten minutes to to line up a putt and stuff. And so he's doing all this around the green, and finally he gets over the putt, 
and he addresses the ball and he stops and he looks at me and he says, your shadow's in my line. <laughs> and I said, it wasn't when we got here. <laughs> <laughs> Time has passed, my friend. <laughs> that's a great line. Oh, oh, man. Oh, that's good. Now, you, in addition to playing golf, you've kind of, uh, you, you've worked with uh, designs, right? Uh, putters, right? Yes. I uh, designed a putter that, gosh, the reason I did it was I had some physics background from going to the Air Force Academy and uh, even military school and high school. And uh, my grandfather made me a putter, gosh, back in the 50s. And all it was was a pipe, and he stuck a shaft in it, and it was a piece of brass pipe. And later on, I realized that there's flaws in a flat-faced putter. Hmm. When a person hits a flat-faced putter like you see on tour today, the putter has three or four degrees loft on it. So anytime you hit a ball with loft on it, it's going to lift that ball off the grass a little bit. And it also puts backspin on it. So there's two flaws that you don't want if you're trying to roll something, Mm -hmm. okay? When you hit a ball with a curved object like a a pipe, well, what I did, I took a flat face putter and ground the face down so that it was a curve, okay? So it's got uh, what they call an eight-degree radius, but it curves all the way from the top to the bottom. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the pipe, that would make the point of contact with the ball much less than a flat face. Oh, it's it's like a pinhead. Yeah. You know, and what we call an apex. Okay. And that's where all the power is. So several things happen against what a flat face putter does. It makes the ball roll further, so there, because it's hitting an apex where all the power is. And uh, that way, you don't have to take as big a stroke. Mm-hmm. The smaller stroke, the more control you have over it. Hmm. All right. And then it doesn't, it, anytime two round objects hit each other, they turn in opposite directions. That's the spin, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's called a gear effect. Okay. So when you hit my putter, it makes the ball roll immediately. And even if it hits something and makes a little bounce, since it's rolling forward, it doesn't affect the ball. Hmm. The If a ball that's in the air hits something when it hits the ground uh, and has backspin, it's going to hop some more. And then it can jump offline and all this kind of stuff. So there's flaws in a uh, a flat face putter that my putter overcomes. Mm-hmm. Now, because of this, and somebody asked me one day, and I'm going to tell you, the name of my putter is the Redeemer. <laughs> and a person asked me, he said, how'd you come up with that name? And I said, well, I just told you about the flaws that your putter has. So we'll call those flaws sins because we have flaws and it's called sin. Mm -hmm. So I thought the only thing that can correct sin. I like it. Is the redeemer. So the putter's got to be the redeemer. Wow. And then I take it another step forward. The, um, no matter how good this putter is, excuse me. No matter how bad it is or good it is, most of it's up to you. And so no matter how good you are, if whatever you've got in your hands got flaws, it's not going to work. So now we got to work on you being good. And it's funny. I've had people ask me, uh, or I'll ask them, I said, you want to play some golf one day? And they say, you know what? The, I'd love to, but I'm not good enough to play with you. You know, of course, it's intimidating mm-hmm. to play with yeah, a well, tour player yeah, and stuff. Uh, believe me, I've done it. Yes. <laughs> well, I've got a tendency. I've got a little boldness. <laughs> That's why oh, I can roast people. Yeah. The uh, So I immediately ask them, well, if you're not good enough to play golf with me, are you good enough to get into heaven? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, they kind of, huh? And I said, well, you're just talking about good and good enough. And because playing golf, there is no such thing as perfection. So no matter how good I am, I'm still not good enough to play. Mm-hmm. That's in, right. In perfection. And we never will be. Right. So if there's no such thing as perfection, can you get into heaven just by being good? Because most people, you won't believe how many people, when I ask them, how are you going to get to heaven? Everybody says, I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. I said, I know that, but I hate to tell you this. Good people die and go to hell. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, 
And they kind of look at you, are you crazy? And I said, let me explain something to you. When you are talking about golf, how do you know if you're good? Most pars are 72. The way we know if we're good, and we're going to use 72 as perfection, which is not, okay, because we used to think 60 was, but mm-hmm. now guys shoot 58 and 59. So there's no such thing as really perfection mm-hmm. in golf. The, um, how do we know if you're good enough in something? We keep score. If we made three birdies and five bogeys, we're too short of being good. Mm. All right. And I'll let you go to heaven if you can prove to me that you're good enough to get into heaven. So have you kept score? Because God's going to ask you what your score is. And since you're depending on being good, you're going to look down there and say, well, look at my scorecard. He said, I just did. And you're five shots short Mm -hmm. of 72. You've been weighed and you've been found wanting. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. So you're a little short. So it's not going to work. And so I, I try to use that analogy it's beautiful. To, to let them know good is not good enough. And there's a great book out from years ago. And what was amazing, uh, my wife asked me not too long ago, where'd you get that book? Because we've ordered it and given it to people. And I was getting on a, a plane in Dallas, Fort Worth, after an event. And a woman just out of the clear blue walked up to me and said, you might like reading this and handed me the book. And I thought, gosh, what a great way to to have testimony or witness to people. And it was written by Charles Stanley's son. Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley. Mm -hmm. And it's called, Are You Good Enough? Mm -hmm. So if if you get a chance, or when is is it, when good? How good is good good enough? Mm. See, I have to carry Ruth with me. Yeah, that's right. Because my brain's going so fast, (laughs) I just can't keep up with it. Well, buddy, you've given us not only a great analogy about the grace of God and how we get into heaven, but you've explained why my putting is so bad. And I appreciate that. Friends, (laughs) it's the flaw that is in my club. There you go. (laughs) You can can always blame it on the club. (laughs) That's right. Blame it on the club. If I'd only had one of Buddy's clubs, the Redeemer, I would have been doing better. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Buddy Shelton, thanks for being with me today. This has been so enjoyable. And, Thank you. Uh, I love your stories. I love you, man. And you really do a great job. And uh, we look forward to hopefully having times when you're going to be doing some of these things. If people want to have you come to their church or their golf tourney or whatever, how do you how do they get in touch with you? Real easy. Buddy at BuddyShelton.com. You know, no Gmail or anything. It's just Buddy Shelton. That's your email address, yep. buddy at buddyshelton.com. Yeah, and if you can't find, if you can't remember that, just Google Buddy Shelton and all these things will come up. And that's S-H-E-L-T-O-N. T-O-N. All right, Buddy, thank you so much for being here. Friends, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on Afternoons with Mike. <music>